couple things. Some people um, are asking me, it's like, hey, can I get some of the information that, you know, that, um, that you're, you're teaching on? I will just tell you that um, you're always free to just email the church and say, hey, just give me information that you're teaching on in regards. I talked, uh, I hit a nerve, not a nerve, but I uh, got some people excited about the gods, of the Egyptian gods that the plagues went after in those things. So if you want that information of those different gods, uh, Miss Krauss would um, be happy to send those um, your way. But I also want to give you uh, another resource, which is just a phenomenal resource um, to use. It's called, and you can write this down, gotquestions.org. And uh, it's a, an amazing resource because you just type in a question or you even type in a word, and then all the words, you know, it, they'll answer the questions. And um, I will tell you that I've read a lot of them, and they're just right on biblically, extremely right on biblically. Um, so there's not a lot that I disagree with in regards to, you know, their answers to a lot of the questions. Um, but definitely just, you know, gotquestions.org. Um, so if you type that in and you push down plagues, you know, they'll, the, all these questions will come up in regards to the plagues. And you just explore those and you'll be able to find answers um, in regards to, um, you know, a lot of the information that I've been presented. Um, and I don't take anything that just from them... Um, I do a whole array of study, and so I kind of understood the gods, but I guess it's new information to a lot of people. But um, you just continue to explore around and find those, um, the books that are even talking on it um, as they go into to depth and those things. So I just want to give you guys that resource. Got, G-O-T, questions, dot, org. Calm. Calm. Let's try that. I don't know if it's .org or .com. It might be .com. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, .org or .com. Try, both, try uh, both of those. So, all right. So we'll continue um, the story of Israel. I'll tell you the goal was to get through, you know, at least half the book of Judges. Uh, we didn't come anywhere close to that. Sorry. We're, we're just going to get through the book of Joshua. Joshua just, you know, um, commits to so much in regards to um, state of Israel in regards of how it was developed. So we'll continue to work with, um, just go through the book of Joshua. But if you guys notice what we've done, you know, Israel was built, you know, by the word of God. I mean, that's, it was God's plan to put Israel in place. So we're walking through literally the Bible. Um, and as we walk through the Bible, we're also going to be pulling in what's going on in between the Bible, the empires and the armies outside the Bible. And then also what's uh, in between the New Testaments, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, there's there's 500 years there. What's going on in between there? And then after the New Testament as well. So we're just doing the whole story of Israel, thinking it will take um, a year. You know, we'll finish it off, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can get it done in a year. I almost don't think we'll be able to get it done in a year. We'll just enjoy through it. We'll just, we'll just continue to walk and see how it goes. But you'll see the foundation of Israel um, as it goes. So we've completed Genesis as we're looking at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Completed Genesis. Last week you completed Moses, um, or Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Now, a lot of these books I'm going through fast, but if you see what I'm doing, we're just getting the key points to these books of what's driving the books and what's the story inside the book with, you know, a lot of developments. We're not going through those details. And then today we're going to um, accomplish the book of Deuteronomy. I want to make mention of Deuteronomy. And then I also want to um, accomplish the book um, of Joshua. Is where we're going to go. So here's the story of Moses. Remember, Joseph was sold as a slave, came down to Egypt. As he came down to Egypt, Jacob and his family came down there. They ended up there. We know that story. So they're in Egypt, and they're in bondage for 400 years. And they're bondage for 400 years. Moses led them out of bondage, and they came here, pulling out of bondage. They crossed the Red Sea 
there. Of course, it's debated. Some people say they cross the Red Sea there, but I think they cross the Red Sea there because there's no way in the world they can get across that desert that fast. But they really debate on where Mount Sinai is, where they received the law. I believe that Mount Sinai is right here. I don't really know. I'm just looking at the two pieces of it. Some other people believe that Mount Sinai is there, but I believe that it's, it's right there. So they came down into Mount Sinai. They received um, the law. They built the tabernacle. And now where did they go? They started heading up this direction because this is Israel. This is Israel right here. They started heading up this direction and they camped here. And then they did what? Sent spies into Israel because they're going to have to conquer the land. As they sent spies into Israel, they came back and the spies gave them a report. And after the spies gave them the report, what happened? It's ugly. <laughs> it's ugly. There is big people there. We're going to talk about those big people today. Big people there. It's ugly. It's going to be a lot of war. It's going to be a lot of death. There's no way. We don't want to do it. This is scary. We don't want God's plan. Uh, ours is more comfortable. And of course, God said, you don't want my plan. I'm going to, to take my land I'm going to give you. I'm going to put you in the desert and wander. And right at the Negev is where they went to um, to put the spies. And then just right below the Negev is right where they just wandered for 40 years, which is a very small spot. They did not go down here and wander this whole desert. They just wandered literally around a circle uh, for 40 years. So let's just pick up that story there where they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. Uh, Moses was definitely working during the process of 40 years. And one thing he did is he wrote the book of Deuteronomy uh, during the time of the desert wandering. And what is the book of Deuteronomy about? Um, the book of Deuteronomy is a whole bunch of compiled sermons for that next generation that is going to move into the land and how to build a nation. This is how to build a nation. So Moses is writing them a book. And I will tell you that the book of Deuteronomy is quoted by the Bible more than any other book in the entire Bible. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. The New Testament is constantly quoted. The Old Testament quotes Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is a very, very rich book of the sermons that... Moses wrote to the young people, because remember, we're waiting for all these bold people to die. Anybody under 40, you know, we're, we're wait, or 20, we're waiting to die. For the young people, when you go in, this is how to build a nation. And that is what the book is about. I just want to kind of put a large theme out there of how to build a nation. I want to read a couple verses. In, oh, actually, that's not, not there yet. I just want to read this. This is the book that he's writing. See, I taught you decrees and the laws of the Lord, my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. And then he goes, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So here he is starting the book out saying, This is great. I've given you laws, but I'm also a God that's going to walk with you in the laws. A God that's going to be with you in the laws. And the temple was given, or the tabernacle was given for that specific purpose. So what is the book of Deuteronomy about? I just want to pull out a theme here. Here's a sermon. Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip away from your heart as long as you live. And then what? Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Deuteronomy 4, here's 9. Remember the day that I stood before you, Lord, your God, Ahareb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You see things that are taking place. I want to build a nation. Do this, but then something else happens afterwards. 
Teach them to your children. Gets more intense. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are upon are to be upon your hearts. There's a commandment. Is that, was that ever quoted in the Bible? <laughs> That's quoted by the Bible more times than almost any other verse. Impress them. This is finishing that verse. Oppress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's interesting that you're going to get a command, but then after you get the command, where are you supposed to take the command? To your home, to your children. To you see a theme that's walking all the way through Deuteronomy? Fix these words of mine in your heart and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children again, every single verse. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along, when you lie down, when you get up. Teach them to your children. We'll keep on going. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These are different verses, but you see a repetitive pattern. So that your days and your days of children may be many in the land of the Lord swore to your forefathers, as, as many as the days that are in heavens and above the earth. These commandments that I give to you are, not to be, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. All these verses are found in different categories through the book of Deuteronomy. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on the foreheads. Write them on the door frames of the houses and of your gates. And then here's Joshua's word after he conquered the entire army. Conquered completely Canaan. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. There is a major emphasis on the home in the book of Deuteronomy. Almost an obsession, you know, even on the home. That I'll give you something, but don't just take it. Give it to your home. Why is there such, if you're going to build a nation, why is there so much emphasis on the home? The reason why there's such an emphasis is because underneath the foundations of church, government, and nations is literally the home and that is what the point moses is trying to get across healthy nations are produced only by healthy homes and the strength of a nation is the strength of a home so in other words if the home is strong what's going to happen the nation will be strong we'll even say it different ways if the home is moral what's going to happen the nation will be moral. In fact, there's a temperature that is even taking place. You know, we look at our government to save our world. Oh, if we could just have our government save the world, well, who puts the government in? The temperature of the home is what puts our government in. And wherever that temperature is at is what it's going to be. Uh, if a nation gives, it's because the home gives. If a nation sacrifices, it's because inside the house people are sacrificing. If the nations are showing love, it's because they're being built by the structure and the foundation of literally uh, the home. So a huge, huge in emphasis that's taken. So now if you look on the other side, if homes collapse or homes are undermined or homes are not invested into, what's going to happen to the nation? The nation's going to fall. <laughs> we, we, see this, um, we see this in Africa. Uh, we see this across the world is that in Africa, there's not a lot of commitment between the husband and the wife. There's not a lot of commitment, a lot, a lot of teaching 
to the children. The children are just on their own and raising themselves literally on their own at 12 years old. And when you see that structure of the home, how do you fix Africa? It's like, yes, give them Jesus. That's step number one. That's step number one in you know, the book of Deuteronomy. Give them Jesus. Obey the law of the Lord. Love God with all your heart. And then do what? The investment in the home is the next step. So we definitely want to push through the book of Deuteronomy and say, what is the emphasis here? What is the drive here? And you will see that the drive is the home. So I just want to continue the story. So here they did, wandered. Here's the Negev right here. Here's where they sent the spies up. Here's where they sent, they started wandering in the desert. So here is where Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy to get them ready to go back into the country. But of course they wandered until they died. Now I just want to finish the story of Moses. Um, after they wandered for 40 years, it's like, okay, it is time to go conquer the land of Canaan. Therefore we will travel. And this is the areas where they traveled. They traveled down, they traveled over, and they traveled up. And they're going to come up around here for the purpose of getting into the nation. So they're not going to go up here and conquer the nation. They're actually going to go up around the Dead Sea. This is the, um, it's called so many things, the Salt Sea, the, the Sea of Arava, and, I mean, so many different things. It was called the Dead Sea right now. They traveled up above the Dead Sea, and then they're going to go up here into the land of Canaan to conquer, to conquer Canaan. But we want to ask a question. Deuteronomy 32, 48. On that same day, the Lord told Moses, Go up to Abram, range of the Mount Nebo, and in Moab. Moab's the side on the other side of, of the Dead Sea. Across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I'm giving the Israelites as their possession. So just to finish the story of Moses, Moses gets to go up to the point on the land and is not going to be able to cross into the land. Why is he not going to be able to cross in the land? We'll explain it here in a second. There are the mountains that you have climbed. You will die and be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died in the Mount Ahor as, and has gathered to his people. This is because, this is why he did not get across. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of Israelites as the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I'm going to give the people. Moses was an extreme great champion, but the neglect um, of what he has done of not honoring God in a situation, this situation specifically, kept him from the land. So I just want to give you the show where he is at. Here, this is a large picture. They traveled here. They went up. This is Israel. They went over. This is a big picture. And they went to the... Um, um, yeah, they went up here to look at the land. I'll show you the next piece. This is actually a smaller picture because this is a picture of Israel. They went over this direction right here. Where's the Dead Sea? Oh, I can't see the Dead Sea. I can't see the Dead Sea off of this picture. But they went over here. They're going to the mountain of Nebo. I'm just going to tell you. The Dead Sea. I should, I should be able to see the Dead Sea. And I can't see the Dead Sea. They went up above the Dead Sea. Oh, there it is right there. I'm just right at it. They went up above the Dead Sea to Mount Nebo. And when they went to Mount Nebo, this is where Moses got to look at the land and see the, all the promised land, but was not allowed to enter. And this is where the Jordan is at right here. Dead Sea right here, Jordan right here. How in the world did they get across the Jordan River? They didn't need to get across the Jordan River here. The reason why is because everything goes to the bottom of the earth, which is in the Dead Sea. So the Jordan is right here. They're looking at the town of Nebo. This is, at the, this is at the Mount of Nebo. This is probably Ma, uh, Moses' view, literally, of the promised land 
on top of Mount, uh, Mount Nebo and says, here is what you cannot cross over. Here's what you cannot go over. This is where it's at. So Moses' story then ends as he dies on the mountain or is taken up to God on the mountain. And then we're going to go look at Joshua. Now the story of Joshua, I want to start back even further, in fact, even before Abraham, to start with the story of Joshua. The story of Joshua, I want to start with the, the Noah's Ark. Um, Noah's, um, God looked at uh, um, the world and says, absolutely, entirely, extremely corrupt, and I'm going to wipe out every single human being that is on there except a faithful person who is Noah. And so here's the, the reason why God is taking out the entire world. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them. But the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves with whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterwards... Then the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those who were mighty men, who were of old, and men of renown. This world that Noah was living in was extremely and exceptionally, ex- extremely corrupt. Uh, we think our world is corrupt today. This world is even more corrupt. And the way that they're more corrupt is the Nephilim. Well, who are they? Who is the Nephilim? I just want to make mention of this because the Nephilim are going to be in the land of Canaan as Moses is going to go conquer it. So the Nephilim were offsprings of sexual relationships between God and then the daughters, or between the fallen angels and then the daughters of men. So the, the demons were literally having sexual relationships even with, with human beings. The demons were doing this to literally pollute, what, the seed of the woman, which is the coming of the Messiah. They're, they don't want the Messiah to come, because if the Messiah comes, what's going to take place? The Messiah comes, he's going to crush the head. We see that in Genesis 3, that the, um, the, head of, the seed of the woman will crush the head of man, but however, the head of man will destroy, with the, um, the, will destroy Satan. I'm misquoting that verse. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have even brought that verse up because I'm just misquoting that pieces of it. But what's taken place is the Nephilim wanted to destroy the bloodline to Jesus because that's what the whole, Nef- the whole Testament is about. It's given to the bloodline of Jesus. So the demons were attempting to pollute the human bloodline in order to prevent the coming of the Messiah. Who were they? They were heroes of old and men of renown. And we see them in the Bible. Every time we see somebody very, very large, it's like, I don't want to go in there because the Nephilim are in there. What are we talking about? We're talking about, I would say, monsters that were literally produced by demons having sexual relationships, even with human beings. We start talking about um, um, David and Goliath. You know, how tall was Goliath? You know, Goliath was almost 10 feet, 10 feet tall. He was huge. Nobody would take him. What was he? He was a Nephilim that was, was in the land. So if you look at those who were, saw the Nephilim, these are the sons of the Anak and part of the Nephilim, and were becoming like grasshoppers in our sights. And so we were, what, in their sight, we're not going to go into this land. Why? Because there's going to be too big of people. So this is after, this is after they spied out the land. It says there's going to be way too big of people in there. We'll be utterly, completely destroyed. Here are some fossils of some bigger heads than, than normal. We'll just put it that way. Maybe that's a bigger head than normal. 
I, I don't know. We'll see if somebody has a big, that big, kind of a big head. Here's some other pictures of some very, very um, large people. Um, these people are considered, you know, to be, to be the Nephilim. So here we have Joshua that's now in charge, and he's got to go into the land of Canaan and do what? Remove people. Now, if it's their land, what are they going to do? They're going to fight. <laughs> it's going to get ugly. So there's a lot of, I wouldn't say fear, that is potential. I'd say potential fear that could be at hand. And remember who Joshua has. Joshua has all these younger people, because all the older people ended up dying, all the younger people, that all they've done is they've just roamed around the desert. And as they roamed around the desert for 40 years, now they're ready to do what? Go to war. But they didn't see the miracles at the Red Sea. They didn't see the plagues come. So here's Joshua going to be going just specifically with faith, ready to conquer this land. So what is the first chapter Joshua probably going to talk about? Let's look at the first chapter. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their forefathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. He's kind of repeating himself, isn't he? A little bit. Be careful to do according to all the which law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right nor to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. And then here's another one. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will find success. These are the words before Joshua enters the land saying, hang on there, here we go, meditate on God, be strong and courageous, keep moving, do God's will, and God will give you that land. I have not commanded you to be strong and courageous. Do, or I, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Right here is the Dead Sea. Right here is Nebo. This is what Mount Nebo. This is where Moses looked into the land here. And then they walk up here. Now that Joshua has taken over, what do they do? They walk up to the Jordan River, and it is in flood stage. And as the Jordan River is in flood stage, what takes place? Joshua or God wants to make a statement. What kind of statement is he going to make? Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will assuredly dispose from before you, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And then what took place? Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you. And as soon as they touch their feet in the Jordan River, what happens? The same thing that took place with Moses. It launched the, the, um, the, the Jordan River split, and they walked across on dry land. Why was that done? That was done for a statement of all those younger people that just wander around the desert. We're walking into God's country, and it's not your fight. It is going to be God's fight, and he is with you. So let's look at this Jordan River. That's what the Jordan River looks like today. Pretty what? <laughs> Pretty small. Flood stage, extremely large. But this is what it looks like today. There's somebody that's in the Jordan River. I had to put, somebody took a picture of me baptizing in the Jordan River. And this is the exact same spot that Joshua walked across. And I'll show you that it's the exact same spot because Jericho is just on the other side. And the first war is going to be Jericho. So this is where you walk down and you literally walk across. And I had a, somebody took a picture of me and, and uh, I was looking at it and said, oh, that's a, 
horrible picture, but I got to show everybody that I was there. <laughs> so I took a picture of the picture and then I, I put it on the screen. But the reason why I want to show everybody that I was there is because this is where Joshua crossed, but it's not the only place that took place right there. Something else happened there. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to what? Jericho. Now, if I travel back through the maps here, I want to show you. If I travel back through the maps here, where's Jericho? Jericho's right there. Cross right there. Jericho is the first city that they're going to walk into. So all of a sudden you have, yes, you have Joshua come across and he goes to Jericho. But the story in Elijah does something as well. What takes place here? Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Close area. But he said, as the Lord lives and as yourselves live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he answered, yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to where? The Jordan from specifically what? Jericho. And then what happened in the story? This is where Elijah was sent up in a whirlwind and a chariot to heaven. So the reason why I gave you that picture is because this is where Joshua crossed, but it's also the exact same location that who? Elijah went up the whirlwind, the chariot of fire into heaven, and Elisha was then given that power. So that story is also connected with there. And then there's another story that is connected with there. And this story that is connected with there is the story of this, Matthew 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Where is the wilderness of Judea? Oh my goodness, there is a wilderness of Judea. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So where did Jesus get baptized? Did he get baptized in the Dead Sea? Did he, he didn't get baptized. He got baptized in the Jordan. Well, where at in the Jordan? Did they travel? He's preaching here, but did they travel up here to baptize? Actually, baptized right there. Remember, there's Jericho right there. Do you see what's taking place? Is there's almost this one line where people are crossing into the promised land, God's land. Because we know that if John the Baptist was preaching here, that Jesus was most likely, <laughs> you can't say it for a fact, but where was he baptized? He would have been baptized in that, that exact same location, which would be there's a straight road from here to Jericho that even goes, that even goes straight. And that's where it is estimated that Jesus was baptized. So taking a picture there is literally saying, oh my goodness, look at this. I've been where Elijah went up to heaven. I've been where the Jordan was split. I've also been where Jesus was baptized. A very, very rich spot. So as soon as he crosses, right after they cross the Jordan, something happens. Watch what takes place. Oh, that's not it. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword and drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Joshua instantly walks in the land, and what? There's a person that's standing right in front of them right now. What's Joshua doing? He's literally going to war with the entire piece of land, and there's this individual standing there. So he, Joshua asked him a question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you going to join the forces with us, or are you for our adversaries? Do we need to kill you? He said, no, rather, I indeed come now as a captain of the host of the Lord, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? 
One thing you don't do is you don't bow to angels and you don't bow to people. Who is this person as soon as Joshua walks into the land? Um, some of the scholars say, you know, it's probably, probably Jesus, it's Jesus himself. You can ask the question, well, what did Jesus look like? Was he, did he look the same? You know, who literally knows? All we know is that this was God in human form that stood with Joshua, and Joshua landed flat on the ground. Remember, Joshua is the strongest soldier that's going to take over many, many armies. He's the strongest, most powerful person, but he is the most powerful, I think this story is given to us, when he lays on the ground in worship and says, this is going to be your fight. It's not going to be mine. So, of course, what do they do? The captain of the Lord of hosts said, Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua absolutely did, and this took place before they went into battle. Of course, their first battle was what? Jericho. I'm going to travel fast through these battles. We talk about the walls of Jericho. The first thing that's interesting is that God says, I'm the one that's going to take this out. You know, I'm the one that's in charge. Submit to me. Well, you can know Joshua it was just itching to get in there 40 years ago you know that for 40 years as he's wandering he's getting military strategies to do this I mean he has just anchored himself into this great great fight because God's going to commit it to him he knows how to lead an army but God does everything different here here's how to conquer a battle you got the walls of Jericho and these are the walls of Jericho kind of what they're looking at just the 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 center of um their dynamics and their size. And what I want you to do is I want you to walk around it. I want you to walk around it seven times. And as you walk around it seven times, after seven times, I want you to shout praise to God. I want you to blow your horns and the walls will fall down and you'll be able to enter. That's not a very good military strategy, but it is a commitment to God that is doing the war. So God says, this is what I want you to do. He doesn't tell anybody in the Bible to do that ever again. And there's a lot of battles in the Bible but he just gives them a specific. Are you going to trust me is the, is the command. That's what I want. Are you going to trust me and let me fight for you? Of course, in that story, yes, Joshua did trust him. This is a good test. Joshua did trust him, and obviously he completely fought for him. And this Jericho was a huge stronghold in the land, in the land of Canaan. And I will tell you that when the walls of Jericho went down and Israel went in, all the Nephilim was even like, oh my goodness, we are not fighting men. We are fighting God. And I will tell you, the land of Canaan was even freezing, saying, this is not good. This is huge. God is coming and going to deliver his people. Here's Joshua's journey. He crossed the Jordan there. He went to Jericho there. The next thing he went to is Ai. Ai, the city of Ai right here. That's a small city. It's nothing like Jericho at all. I'm going to send a couple of troops up there. I'm going to send 36 troops up there, and what they're going to do is they're just going to take that out. So he sent those people up there, and I'll tell you, they got completely wasted. Actually, 36 died. They got completely wasted, and Joshua's like, hold on a second. We just took out an entire city that was absolutely huge, and then this one got wasted. What's going on? Well, there was somebody named Achan, going through the story, named Achan, that kept some of the goods that were found in Jericho, and he stuffed him in his pocket. And he's not following God. He's doing what he wants. And I will tell you, a great defeat takes place. And as soon as Joshua found out that he is the one that did that, they annihilated him. They stoned him. And then after they stoned him and even his family, then success started taking place. So they took Ai. Now, after they took Ai, there's a city right here called Gibeon. Gibeon goes, ooh, we're going to get wiped out really, really bad. 
And they were a huge city. I mean, even similar to, to Jericho. And as they think they get wiped out real bad, they said, we've got to have strategy because these guys got God in themselves. You notice everybody's afraid as they walk in the nation. So what they say, well, let's, let's, cause, let's make a treaty with them. So what they did is they put on some, some clothes that made them look dirty and filthy, and they, they walked up and they said, hey, you know, we're Gibeon, and, and we just want to house with you. We just want to, you know, we want to live with you, and, and we don't have any money, and, and, you know, we'll work for you. You know, we can be your slaves and those things. We just, just don't kill us, don't annihilate us. And then what does Joshua do? He makes a statement and says, okay, I will commit a vow to Gibeon. Commits the vow to Gibeon and makes uh, a truce with them. But after that takes place, he finds out that Gibeon, because he went to the city, was a huge city, strong city, horrific city. And it's like, I just made a vow with them. And then there they are. So what does he do? There was a curse on the city, but he doesn't kill it, doesn't destroy it. And then he goes again to war. Now, there's some people that are really, really frustrated with Gibeon, and that would be all the other kings, because it, Gibeon was trying to, you know, lay their swords down and say, just let us live with you. So these other kings were extremely mad. So what did they do? So the five kings of the Amorites, and the kings of Jerusalem, and the king of Hebron, and the king of uh, Jermoth, and the king of Jachesh, and the king of Eglon, and gathered together, and they went up with them to the armies and captured and camped up by Gibeon and said and found against and founded against it. They're saying, "You make a truce, we're all going to die. And you make a truce, we're going to kill you, Gibeon." So all these kings do what? They go up there right to Gibeon and said, "We're going to wipe you out." Well, what what does Gibeon do? Gibeon calls Joshua, and as Gibeon calls Joshua here in Gilgal, right in Jericho, and says, "We're being attacked. We're being attacked by Jeremiah." Um, Lachish and Hebron and Zubas, Jubas, all these people are going to attack us. And they call what for help? This is interesting, isn't it? Because you have all the Nephilim, all the strength, all the power, five huge kings going after this one here, but everybody's afraid of what? Israel. They're afraid of Joshua in the army. So what does Joshua do? Don't worry, Gibeon. We know that you guys are corrupt. We know that I've cursed you, but. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to my commitment to you. And he came here and he annihilated all of the five kings completely and entirely wiped them out. So here's his travel from Jericho to Gibeon all the way through and then wiped out the whole southern half um, of the country, killing the five kings in the southern kingdom. And then what took place? You know, oh, here's, the, here's, the, here's Gilgal. This kind of shows through the verses in chapter 10 of all the kings and destructions of the people. So then he goes to the northern kingdom. Then it came about when Jabin, king of Hazor, 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 heard of it. They came out and they all the armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. He then goes to the north. And when he goes to the north, what happens is everybody is completely and entirely afraid of him and says he is wiping out the entire army. So all the kings joined forces and then they came to Hazor. After they heard of it, and they gathered up, they had many horses and chariots to wipe them out. Say, all the kings having agreed to meet came and encamped together the waters of Maram to fight against Israel. So as of now, everybody is what? Come up against Israel, 
And after they fight, come up against Israel, then Joshua says, well, they're sand of the seashore, but then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I'll deliver all the slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And sure enough, all the kings from all the different areas came to one location just to make sure that Joshua and his army was not going um, to be able to take the land. And after they did, Joshua completely and entirely um, conquered all of them. Also in the southern region is where the sun stood still. This is not where the sun stood still. This is the, this is the top region. So this entire process of Joshua taking the land took about seven years is where it is estimated as they're looking at the, the age of Caleb who went in there with him. It took about seven years to wipe out all the people that are in the land of Canaan. And after they wiped out all the people in the land of Canaan, moving right here to the next one, now these are the areas, what they're going to do is they're going to switch, this is the command from Moses, to break up all the areas in, in, in different sections. Now these are the areas of Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. So they had everything that they stationed off in regards to the area. Their inheritance were assigned by a lot of the nine and a half tribes as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan, but had not granted them Levites as an inheritance among the land. And for the sons of Joseph had become tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in with the pasture lands of the flocks and the herds. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And this is what the land looks like. Now, when you look at this land, who is Simeon? Who is Judah? Who is Ashar? Who is Dan? All these people are who? They're the 12 tribes of Israel, which will be the 12 sons of Jacob. Who is Manasseh? Who is Ephraim? They're sons of Joseph. See, Joseph was one of the sons, but he did, the land was not stationed to Joseph. Sometimes in Ephraim they call it the, the tribe of Joseph, but instead um, they are putting Manasseh and Ephraim are put in place of Joseph, as they were the sons of Joseph adopting, adopting the lands. What about the Levites? Where's the Levites? Because if you add two, think about it, you add two, how many is that going to be? It's going to be 13. Wouldn't it be 13? Well, what about the Levites? The Levites were not supposed to take an area or take a piece of land. They were supposed to wander through all of them as the priests of the land, which continued to be the 12 tribes the 12 tribes of Israel. So after the command, Moses literally put this together. And after the command of Moses of putting this together, God really put it together, put it together, they stationed everybody in these lands as they, continue, as they, as they, took, as they took the property. And after they stationed everybody in these lands, the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control. What was Shiloh? Shiloh was a place where they brought the tabernacle, which would be the Ark of the Covenant, and they set up the tabernacle in a permanent spot for how many years? For 300, for 300 years. So they now have the land of Israel. All the tribes are, different, are all different, split on different tribes, and the tabernacle was placed in the, in the, um, in the town of Shiloh. Now this is a picture that I took <laughs> when I went, I went to Israel, and there's a complete location of where the tabernacle, I don't want to do that, where the tabernacle is even at, because the tabernacle is instructed to even be lower 
than the, um, than the top of the mountain. So you have a top of the mountain that's here, and then you look down into the tabernacle. This is the instructions, that, the instructions that were given by Moses as it was set up. So this is where the tabernacle was at. There's still stations there. You can walk on the ground and those things. You will see that this is land that is at a far distance in regards to this. It's hard to see but with, the, with the hillside, but that's where that is at. And then you can walk on these pieces up here. And the, when the tabernacle is here for 300 years, you're going to see that it's going to be the same location that's going to travel all the way through the book of Judges. And then we're also going to see what does Hannah come when she starts praying? When she starts praying in the tabernacle, Eli is the priest, and the story is going to take off in 1 Samuel of where that tabernacle is going, is, is at, and, and, then, um, and then you're going to see Samuel um, come as a result of that as the priest of the nation. So that is where the story is setting up before we go into the book, the book of Judges. So kind of fast, kind of a lot of information, kind of a lot of verses. So um, next week, I think I'm going to just tell a lot of stories. You're not going to get a lot of verses. You're just going to have to trust me because we're going to go through the book of Judges. And when we go through the book of Judges, I will tell you that it is a book. It's like a horror movie. We'll put it that way. It's like a, a horror book for 300 years. So I'm just going to give you a theme, and then I'm just going to tell you some stories of the book of Judges, and we'll see probably the darkest time of Israel, um, but uh, uh, see the darkest time of Israel.